Welcome to the Fastest Five Minutes presented by Kroll and Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Yuan Zhou, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. We're gonna start with the September 9th executive order entitled Ensuring Adequate COVID Safety Protocols for Federal Contractors. That executive order requires agencies to include a new clause in certain contracts and quote unquote contract-like instruments mandating COVID vaccines for contractors and subcontractors in certain circumstances. The executive order specifically states that the guidance will apply to any workplace locations where a government contractor has an individual working on or in connection with a federal government contract or contract-like instrument, which means this executive order will apply to both federal and contractor facilities in all likelihood. The task force must provide guidance, including applicable exceptions to contractors and subcontractors by November 24th. So we're watching that carefully and hopefully it will answer many of the open questions that contractors have about scope, applicability, cost, timing, et cetera. We are also expecting a new implementing FAR clause focused on that same executive order. Some agencies are already pushing forward uh, while relying on the prior executive order and some Q&A coming out of the White House saying that agencies are encouraged to move out aggressively on this mandate. Relatedly, the president directed the Department of Labor to issue an emergency rule requiring private employers with 100 or more employees to mandate that their employees get vaccinated or submit to weekly COVID testing. The announcement didn't set a deadline for OSHA to implement this new standard, and the details, of course, are going to matter a great deal. There have been a couple of interesting small business developments, and I'll turn it over to you, Juan, to talk about those. Thanks, Peter. On September 10th, the DOD issued a class deviation to FAR 52-219-14, limitations on subcontracting, which rescinds and supersedes a prior deviation that was issued in November of 2020. Now, starting on September 10th, contracting officers must use the deviation version of FAR 52-219-14 in lieu of the standard FAR clause. The deviated clause has been updated to become largely consistent with the SBA's new regulations on the limitations on subcontracting methodology, which occurred in 2016. Now, since that time, the SBA then added certain exclusions to the limitations on subcontracting for service contracts in 2019. Now, these changes are the subject of a 2021 proposed rule to amend the FAR, but the rule has not yet been implemented. As such, the DOD issued the class deviation in order to incorporate the exclusions in paragraph E1 of FAR 52-219-14. Now, on to a size protest. On August 9th, the SBA's Office of Hearing and Appeals reversed a size determination in which an area office sustained a size protest concluding that Telesis Corporation, the awardee of an Army task order, was affiliated with its subcontractor through the ostensible subcontractor rule. Now, the area office found that Telesis was unusually reliant on its large business prime contractor because all four of the unusual reliance factors were present to at least some degree, and because the subcontractor would perform 40% or more of the instant order. Now, while OHA agreed that the first factor was met because the large business subcontractor was the incumbent and would not have been eligible to submit its own proposal, it determined that the area office erred in finding that the rest of the factors were squarely met. 
For example, the second factor concerns whether the prime contractor plans to hire the large majority of its workforce from the sub. Now, OHA found that the area office erred by combining the subcontractor's employees with those that Telesis expected to hire from the subcontractor in order to determine the percentage of employees that Telesis planned to hire from its subcontractor. Now, the area office's analysis of the third factor, whether the prime contractor's proposed management previously served with the subcontractor on the incumbent contract, was also flawed. While Telesis proposed to hire the program manager from its large business subcontractor, the proposal made clear that the PM would be subordinate to and supervised by Telesis's executive leadership, and those executives would play an active role in managing the task order. Moreover, OHA determined that the large business subcontractor, per Telesis's proposal, would not be responsible for at least 40% of the order. So for those reasons, the OHA reversed the size determination and determined that Telesis was an eligible small business for the task order. Peter, back to you. Perfect. All right. Now we move on to two revolving door updates. This is an area of a lot of interest enforcement um, in the government contracts arena right now. Uh, so we're tracking these developments quite closely. And we're going to mention uh, two updates. On September 9th, GAO issued a report on the employment of former DOD officials by major defense contractors and looked at potential violations of post-government employment restrictions. GAO selected 14 major defense contractors to review the extent to which these contractors employed potentially covered ex-DOD officials. GAO examined the practices that DOD and contractors use related to the hiring of these former officials. GAO found that DOD has improved its practices to help ensure compliance with these restrictions, including processes for issuing and maintaining ethics opinion letters and training to increase DOD employee awareness and understanding of these restrictions. GAO recommended that DOD assess whether to incorporate recent lobbying provisions contained in section 1045 of NDAA for FY18 into its acquisition regulations. DOD concurred with the recommendation, so we're expecting some more focus on that Section 1045 restriction. Now I'm going to talk briefly about a protest um, that also touches on revolving door issues. This was from August 18th. GAO sustained a protest, finding that the appearance of impropriety tainted the integrity of the procurement. Here, the protester argued that the government failed to reasonably consider the impact of an apparent conflict of interest stemming from the actions of a then government employee who developed specifications for the solicitation while at the same time negotiating for employment with the awardee. GAO agreed with the protester, finding the government's conclusions to the contrary unreasonable because the record showed that the ex-government employee had a conflict of interest that warranted an independent investigation into his contributions to the procurement. GAO noted that the record showed that the employee's extensive participation in revising procurement specifications at the same time he was negotiating a position with the awardee was problematic. And with that, we will close out. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 202-624-2807 and Yuan can be reached at 202 624-2666. Thanks for joining.
The Fastest 5 Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mori LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast. podcast.